And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into a post-game edition of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia, and with me is my co-host, Matthew Fairburn. The Bills losing an absolute stunner, a heartbreaking one to the uh, Arizona Cardinals, 32-30. to If you saw that score and you didn't know what happened, you'd be like, oh, well, that, that makes sense, you know. The Cardinals are a good team. The Bills are a good team. It it was a shootout. That all makes sense. But the way that everybody got there and the ride that uh, that game put everybody on was just something that you won't forget for a while, especially with how it ended, too. So the Bills falling on the short side of things, of course, Everyone will be talking about the play at the end of the game in which DeAndre Hopkins brought in a 43-yard reception for a touchdown with two seconds remaining to give the Cardinals the game-winning touchdown and the lead and um, really spoiling what could have been a pretty savory moment for the Bills after their young quarterback just conducted a a really great drive after struggling for much of the second half and uh, putting the Bills up with under a minute to go. But uh, it just just wasn't there for the Bills, all for naught, because the Cardinals come away victorious. Matthew Fairburn, we have a lot to unpack with this game. And I think the only place that we can start is with the play. So what was your view on it? What did uh, What did you see? Um, I know there's a lot of blame being tossed around on Twitter, uh, and I think everyone's kind of picking somebody. But uh, what did you see from that play, and um, and as it pertained to the rest of the game and and how it all unfolded? Yeah, I think it to me it started at the beginning of the drive when the Cardinals take over, 34 seconds left, they need a touchdown. The Bills had really bottled up the Cardinals' passing game for the most part in this game. Kyler Murray, before that drive, had 170 yards passing. And they went into essentially prevent defense. That The way that they were beating Kyler Murray throughout most of the game was, you know, some various blitz packages and, and you know, pretty aggressive play in the secondary, um, had their corners close to the line of scrimmage. And then they get out there for that drive, and they're basically conceding yardage for those first, you know, few plays as Murray, you know, works the, his way down the field to the point where they have a 43-yard throw to the end zone with 11 seconds left. So really, two 43-yard throws to the end zone, uh, unless you know you thought maybe they would throw one out of bounds and then have a 
a 30 something yarder, um, you know, if they were able to get a catch and get out of bounds. Yes, they needed a touchdown. So, you know, if you're sitting there at the end of the game saying, oh, they're going to need a Hail Mary from the 43 to win this game, you know, take your chances with that. But they didn't need to be there. Uh, the, the Bills kind of had Kyler Murray's number for most of the, the second half as a passer. And then they just changed what they were doing and let them get into position. So that's where it started. And the play itself, look, Mario Addison lost contain on Kyler Murray t- to start. Uh, it looked like he had a clear shot at him and, and, and lost contain, which plenty of people do against Kyler Murray, but I just don't think you can let him get outside like that. And Tredavious White was way off the line of scrimmage on DeAndre Hopkins, which I'm assuming he was coached to do. And to have nobody jamming Hopkins at the line of scrimmage on what is likely a Hail Mary play, who else are they going to on that play? Of course, they're going to go to DeAndre Hopkins. He's uh, arguably one of the best receivers in the league maybe the best jump ball receiver in the league, uh, probably has the best hands in football. And so to just allow him a free release off the line of scrimmage was, um, I, I just think it was unforgivable. And and so then you end up in a situation where Murray has just enough time, manages to get off a great throw, uh, rolling to his left, kind of falling backwards all at the same time. And Hopkins wins a jump ball against what the three best players in the bill secondary. Uh, I mean, yep. the fact that he won the jump ball was a huge credit to him, obviously, but also kind of unfathomable, uh, in some ways, uh, that, you know, those guys couldn't get their hands on the ball in any way. So it's an incredible play. One of those once every few years type of plays that you see certainly not the only hail mary we've ever seen completed for a touchdown at the end of the game but you don't see it often and when it happens you can chalk it up to a fluke um which i think is fair in some respects right you know it's a couple of really good players making a really good play but i think everything leading up to it and some of the decisions leading up to it allowed them to even have that opportunity and there were a couple of bad breakdowns on the play itself. So um, a, a pretty pretty epic uh, choke job by the Bills. Yeah, I think um, it. You, you raised a good point early on in the drive. Uh, I think there was one point. Um, it was right before they, they called a timeout. Uh, they were in a defense that was not a prevent style like they were going back to what had been working for them for much of the game and then they called the timeout and the next thing we knew they were in quarters and uh and that's that's the play that inevitably went for the touchdown um there were there, there's a lot to get to with that play and i think where a lot of people are hung up is why the three defenders couldn't knock it down I don't find as much issue um, with those defenders in that spot because DeAndre Hopkins just made a really freaking good play. Um, He perfectly timed the jump. The throw was immaculate and exactly where it needed to be. 
Uh, he has the length in his arms. He has the jumping ability, um, which is better than obviously those three. The timing was there. Um, it was just perfect execution by them. And for the Bills, those three defenders in that spot are exactly where you want them to be. It's just you're not expecting that timing to sync up so incredibly well on a last-ditch throw like that. So I don't take as much issue with that. I think That part's um, kind of ra- a, not totally random, but that's part of the fluky nature of a play like right, that. Exactly. Getting the right it, timing and... All of that stuff is like they were there, they were in position. Do they need to get a hand on it? Are they, you know, to uh, the phrase Sean McDermott used after the game was interception minded? Um, perhaps they were that way, but I don't it, see. I don't even know because that they, they were. didn't even really. They they of course had an opportunity to get their hands on the ball because they were there. They were in the end zone, but Hopkins got up higher than they did uh he timed it better which yes is a lack of execution like micah hyde said he should have timed his jump better but that's a play that you don't practice all the time and that's part of what makes hail mary's kind of crazy plays and deandre hopkins simply got up higher like those guys didn't have their it's not as if they tried to intercept it and dropped it uh it was they just didn't get up as high as as DeAndre Hopkins did, and not many people can. It, it's, it was, yeah, it, that part of, specific part of it was not, you know, totally random, but that's part of what makes a Hail Mary a weird, fluky play is that stuff like that can happen. Yeah, there were a couple of things that went into it too. Like Micah Hyde ad- admitted, I think he was a little bit too hard on himself, honestly, and where he's like, yeah, I didn't want to let anything get behind me as he shouldn't because he's the free safety. That's that's kind of his job. Um, and I think the other part that uh, I know some people will take issue with Tredavious uh, on that specific play because, you know, he was facing the ball and he had he had tried a, a two handed technique to try and get at the ball. But I think he was kind of in a in a weird spot in in the zone coverage because if he just turned around and ran straight at DeAndre Hopkins to try and break up the pass and he doesn't time it correctly, that's a defensive pass interference. And the Cardinals have the ball first and goal from the one-yard line, and that's basically the game right there. Um, or at least it, it should be. A, a much higher percentage play for them. So instead, he he tried to get in position to time the jump. And I, I don't I honestly don't think he was trying to catch the ball. I think he was trying to bat the ball down with both hands because, you know, if if you're if you're trying to knock down a pass, usually if you have two hands up there, you have a you have a better percentage chance of of knocking it down than than just the one and and whiffing on it. So all of those different things play into it. Um Poyer jumped over and he was maybe a touch late but even still he was he was there at the point of the catch yeah he came All off three of were there the they, guy that he was or the they, area that he was covering because there was another receiver in the general right. area and he wisely came off it with pretty good timing uh got there and probably bumped Trey a little bit going up but Again, he was there. They were yeah, all there at the catch all, point. You had your three best defensive The convergence backs. was perfect. 
at the catch point at the right time, roughly, right. Uh, give or take a fraction of a second. But um, you'll take that uh, in most cases. Yeah. But the Every other uh, the other guy's really good. I think the yeah he's he is really good. I think that's that's the point of the point I'm trying to make here because. You know, it doesn't always have to, at that point of the play. It doesn't always have to be someone's fault uh, right there because I honestly think all three of those guys were in great position. And usually, nine times out of ten, maybe even nine and a half times out of ten, that play goes the way of the defense. But DeAndre Hopkins is just a different dude, so you just got to tip the cap to him. But I think there was a major unforgivable on this play, and you brought it up briefly. I think Mario Addison cost the Bills the game on that play because when you watch how he played it, initially, it was exactly what they wanted from, from their edge defender. He kind of contained that that shell area, and the Bills had been doing a good job mostly on this uh, throughout the game. And so he, do, he does that initially. Uh, Kyler Murray gets a little ahead of himself and and he gets outside the pocket starts to roll to his left and Addison now finds himself away from his uh blocking assignment and squarely in front of of Kyler Murray and at that point he has two choices he can either a play it safe do uh do the technique that they had been practicing all week and staying square, staying on the ground, uh, or staying keeping his feet underneath him, moving, shuffling horizontally, uh, and continuing to be a nuisance to the quarterback until other help arrives, which is pure team defense. Um, he either could have done that, or he could have gone for the hero. Uh, gone to be the hero and and gone to end the game by by taking down Kyler Murray right then and there because a sack ends the game. The Cardinals were out of timeouts would have been would have been done. And he he was within about a yard and a half, maybe two yards of Murray, and he chose for the glory. He he went for the glory um, play as opposed to the safe play where all week it's been kind of you know put in their minds, hey, don't let this guy get outside of you because if he does, then he can make special things happen either with his arm or with his legs. And by Addison choosing to go for the glory play uh, rather than playing it safe and allowing his teammates to get there, uh, that allowed Murray a free look at what was happening down the field. If Addison stays with him the entire time, then odds are he's throwing from a, a more uneven base and probably has to drift back a little bit. And right at the tail end of that play, I'm sure you've watched it back a ton of times like I have, Ed Oliver was almost got to Murray. Now, if Addison is is there holding up Murray, Oliver's probably getting there within a time frame, and the throw probably would have been uneven. It would have given the defenders that much more time to try and time the jump and knock the ball down, but as opposed to Addison just completely going for the glory play, failing at that, winding up on the ground, Murray has a completely open left side, and then we saw what ended up happening. It was just, to me, that was the play 
on that specific um, on that specific play that lost for the bill lost the game for the Bills. And there was a lot of different things that led up to that moment, of course. But to me, you're you're a veteran guy. They brought you in for for those moments to to keep your wits about you to to keep your head in those moments, and you blew it. Um, I, that to me that that and McDermott even mentioned the the contain as part of what was the breakdown of, of the play, even more so than the than the actual catch point. And I couldn't agree more. Like that's that's just a totally awful play by Addison in that spot. You need to know what the game is. You need to know who you're playing against. And you need to know that it is bigger than just trying to bring him down right then and there. I, I, that's just that, that's just an awful play by him. Well, he had a great angle, too. I mean, he had everything set up just how you want it uh, to right. force him. But Murray's you know, a different dude. Right. He, he, had it, he had it set up how you want it the way they exactly. were playing all game. Um, not to, I mean... You're never in a perfect position really to to get a sack on Kyler Murray because he's so slippery and he's so quick. And so yeah, it was it was a strange lapse of judgment and um and you know, probably technique and assignment too, because uh, I I don't know, maybe he's being coached to to go for the sack in that situation, but I there's I no don't shot. think so. There's no I way. don't I don't see how you would do that, but then also drop everybody back into coverage, you know, drop <laughs> Uh, it's like selective aggression, but, um, to me it was that, and it was Tredavious White being so far off the line of scrimmage to as not even to just let Deandre Hopkins get a full head of steam. He might not even be at the end zone if they jam him at the line of scrimmage when Kyler Murray's getting rid of the football. And then it's a completely different play. So uh, those two things to me before any of the other stuff, you know, like once the ball's in the air, it's you know, who knows, right? You know, it's just one of those crazy, uh, weird plays in football that um, you just don't know once the, once the football's in the air. And yeah, three on one, it looks really bad that DeAndre Hopkins came down with that, that ball. But I think there were other things that led up to that that made it, um, you know, made it more frustrating um, for the Bills than uh, that part of it because that at that point it's just a really good player making a really good play yeah yeah i i I hear you on on the jam at the line of scrimmage thing that that's 100 percent um part of their game plan on that play uh why they didn't have him do that um maybe they were worried about uh getting grabby and and taking a, a holding penalty and and lessening the distance a little bit more or uh or maybe they just they they believe that uh you know keeping everything in front of you is the best approach for that sort of play and it probably should have worked but you know uh for all those reasons that we've been listening it's it it clearly did not so so yes the the bills on that play in particular and this is probably Probably the longest we've ever talked about one specific play, <laughs> but it's that's that's just the magnitude of it as to what uh, what uh, this game ended up being for the Bills and and how it was just a breakdown um, in a lot of different ways. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a... Real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about Josh Allen here because he's the other big, big piece of the puzzle here. Um, and we can sit here and talk about defense a bunch, but we saw Allen, um, kind of drift back into a little bit of a roller coaster ride in this game. Uh, it, it, he got away with some stuff in the first half that he clearly shouldn't have been throwing. It was a couple of picks that, that should have uh, gone into the Cardinals possession. And then the law of averages kind of even themselves out because uh, he ends up throwing two interceptions down the stretch of the game and just putting the bills in awful position. But then at the end of the game, He's able to brush all of that aside, just like he did in the Rams game when it seemed like the the moment was getting a little bit too too big for him and and he was making some mistakes that we we aren't used to seeing him make throughout games when he's in full control. Um, but once he was able to push that aside, just like the Rams game, which was an impressive quality and engineering that that long, I believe a seventy eight yard touchdown drive to put them ahead. The throw to Stefan Diggs was just unbelievable. Like he, I think he wasn't even throwing on an even base and uh, the, just the arm strength to get it there and the route by Diggs, it was just pure perfection um, of execution in such a huge spot. And it probably should have, <laughs> have been the game winning touchdown. Of course it wasn't as we know, but uh, Allen was just, he was a little all over the place, but he still brought it together when they needed it most. And um, he definitely deserves some criticism for for how long that he allowed the Cardinals to be in the game and the offense allowed the Cardinals to be in the game. But that said, he did enough at the end of the game to get them a win. And 
they did not get a win. Yeah, you know, Josh Allen did not play a great game uh, for four quarters on Sunday, and it's getting to the point where it feels like he almost needs to do that for this team to beat the good teams. Uh, And that's not really a criticism of Allen as much as it is a, a criticism of the defense and the mostly mostly the defense frankly and I didn't think the defense had its worst game but you're still kind of I mean 217 rushing yards it's the seventh time they've allowed 200 yards uh rushing in a game under Sean McDermott um and they had an interception and two three and outs in the fourth quarter that gave the offense a chance to put the game away and Josh Allen and the offense did not do it until that final drive, which was a great drive. Um, mm-hmm. But after they went up 23 to nine, the next five possessions, they had 33 yards total and Oof. three first downs. So it was, you know, one of those things where the offense stalling out the way that it did um, really, really hurt them uh, in this game. But at the same time, you know, it's hard to really, you know, I know everybody wants it to be one thing or the other, right? It was either Josh Allen's fault or it was the defense's fault or it was this person's fault. And especially when it comes down to one play like it did, it's easy for, you know, people to, you know, that play is going to be replayed over and over again and talked about a million, you know, ways uh, till probably two Sundays from now till they play again. But I, I think there's that their formula for winning games has become heavily reliant on Josh Allen being that guy he was in the first month of the season or um, against the Seahawks. Obviously against some some weaker teams, they've they've managed to switch up that formula a little bit and, and come away with with wins in other ways, but against the best teams, you know, when you need to score 30 plus, uh, Josh Allen needs to play a certain way. He didn't necessarily do that, uh, on, on Sunday, but you know, he had the two interceptions, both of which were, you know, plays he, he probably wants back. He had two other interceptions dropped, but he showed that he'll still make it happen at the end of the game, um, that he's still a threat to pull out that drive at the end of the game. That throw to Stephon Diggs was picture perfect. Um, it was unbelievable. Diggs was great again. Uh, another A great catch there. Cole Beasley had what would have been the catch of the game if not for uh, Diggs having a go-ahead touchdown and then Hopkins coming up with the catch of the year. Um, but that one-handed catch from Beasley was great. Um so the like the offense did enough to win this game, and then the defense just choked it away at the end. But then you also had a lot of moments throughout the game where you know I'm not ready to sit here and heap praise on the defense for having like a good you know quarter or so, um, you know, or having good moments uh, because yeah, against a really good offense, you know, you you have to recalibrate what success means and what a good day means and I thought they had good moments but their inability to put together a complete game on that side of the ball it's 
you know, much different than it was a year ago. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 200 yards rushing, you're going to get beat in the playoffs if you can't stop the run. Um, and I know that, you know, that's like, oh, you know, it's such a passing league. Who cares if you can stop the run? Well, yeah, who cares if you can stop the run to a certain extent, but 200 yards, um, you know, and letting Kyler Murray get loose uh, the way that he did um, for, you know, a good chunk of that third quarter. They're now negative 46 in the third quarter this season. It's not like a silly trend. That's second worst in the league. Uh, and that's right after halftime when you're supposed to be making your adjustments and uh, and coming out with, you know, a game plan. They were third worst in the league uh, in third quarter point differential in 2017. So this isn't a new problem. They were negative in the third quarter last season as well. So, uh, you know, some of these weird lulls in games, specifically right after halftime, uh, you know, that's a problem. And I think the way this defense is playing is a problem because Josh Allen should be able to play a game like the one he did and, and, you know, this is what's weird about talking about this game. Like, they should have won, uh, if not for one play. So, like, mm-hmm. this formula, you know, Josh Allen played good enough to win. He had that drive, and the defense almost played good enough to win, but um, they're operating on razor-thin margins when they, they do some of the things that they do on defense. They're in the bottom third of the league uh, in yards per carry against. They're in the bottom half of the league in – yards per attempt passing against so they're not all that good at any one particular thing on defense they've just had moments it seems like where they come through and you know they had moments in that Seahawks game where they took the ball away but um they're just not good enough on that side of the ball and you know Josh Allen's not going to throw for 404 touchdowns every week he's going to have some games like this one which are not terrible games not great uh the the turnovers can't really happen, but um, quarterbacks throw interceptions sometimes, and he bounced back uh, in a big way when it mattered. But I just uh, there's something really, really missing with this defense. And this was an interesting uh, stat that since 2017, when Sean McDermott took over, uh, as I mentioned, they've allowed two, uh, 200 yards rushing uh, in a game seven times. Two teams have done that more often. That's it. The Bengals and the Jaguars <laughs> in that time Ooh. frame since 2017. The Bengals and the Jaguars, and the Jaguars. have had a good defense in between 2017 and 2020. They've, they've been kind of going up and down. Yeah, they've done it eight times. Um, wow. A lot of those were last year. Um, only one in 2017, two in 2018, and then a bunch last year. The Bengals have done it 10 times. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that's like a – there's also a few games sprinkled in, by the way, where the Bills have allowed like 190-something. So they're – you know, they've just had these games where the the run defense disappears. And, you know, they're they're in a weird spot. Their point differential is not good. They're plus seven on the year in point differential, um, which is the worst among teams that – are in the current, you know, playoff uh, standing right now. Top seven teams in the AFC, plus seven is the worst, like by a pretty good margin. Uh, they're minus four in point differential in the conference. Um, wow. The 
the Steelers are plus 100 in point differential, plus 76 in the conference. The Chiefs are plus 103 and plus 101 in the conference. Um, the only other team that's like substantially negative, um, I mean, the Browns are just a mess. They're minus 53 in the conference and minus 28 overall. Um, but the Bills outside of the Browns are pretty much the worst of teams above 500 in point differential in the conference and overall. So it, I think it brings up a point of like, yes, this game was, you know, came down to one play and was this crazy, thrilling, you know, heart stopping game. But this team, as it's constructed and with the flaws that are still there and, you know, through 10 games, you get a pretty good idea of what, what a team is. There's more of these games coming. Uh, maybe not that end just like that, but they're not a team that is going to be, um, they're going to be a team that, that stresses you out. And part of that is the expectations. Part of it is that they're a good team that is going to be in games all the time because they have a good quarterback a pretty good defense, you know, not a great, not a, maybe not a good defense, but a defense that's savvy, experienced. They've got some players on that side of the ball uh, and they have a quarterback. So they're going to be in games, but man, it's going to be, you know, helter skelter down the stretch. Mm -hmm. uh, not yeah. necessarily, like we've said, they're going to get in the playoffs. Um, seeding got a little bit more jumbled with this game. But it did, but the Ravens lost too. The Ravens way. lost, which was a good thing. Um, the Dolphins won, uh, which kept things a little interesting. But when they get to the playoffs and play a good team, it's going to be kind of a free-for-all, it feels like. It's going to be one of these games that's just like back and forth. And, you know, they're going to have a chance uh, in all these games, but... I don't know. There's a gap between the top two teams in the AFC and everybody else, and the Bills are part of everybody else right now. Yeah. Um, I think there, there's a – I do want to circle back to the defense, but with the offense and that stretch you were talking about where they only gained 33 yards, uh, that was – I'm just going back and, and looking at all the specific plays on, on how those those drives unraveled. There was one where it was a three and out, so there wasn't much to speak of there. But the the one after that that resulted in Allen's first interception, um, there was a play where the Bills would have been in some pretty good field position after uh, Allen got the ball off to Devin Singletary, and then it, it was on an offsides call on Arizona. And Dawson Knox decides at the last minute to give an illegal block in the back on on his uh, the guy he was trying to block rather than just letting letting the play go and and not letting the the moment get too large for him. And because he did that, it ruined what would have been a twenty plus yard gain, probably would have changed the direction of the drive, could have changed um, exactly. Maybe the Bills go down and score. Maybe the Bills go and get a field goal. Uh, just something to stop the bleeding at, at that point because uh, the Bills were only up by four points right right then. But instead, he takes that penalty. The very next play, Allen throws an interception, which is Allen's fault, but 
he it should have been a first and ten and fresh set of downs with better field position, but it wasn't because Knox made a bad play. The uh, the next drive, um, they they got some stuff done, but it, they kept relying on the running game, and it was just the running game was so weird because they had they made such a huge commitment to basically not running the ball at all against the Seahawks, but they kept trying to force it uh, at times, and it was it was very random just to it, just to try and keep the Cardinals honest, I guess, but. It, it, there were three rushing plays by running backs that went for 35 yards in this game. The other eight went for zero yards total. So I just don't understand why they kept trying to force it. Um, and then they ended up punting on that drive. And then the next drive, uh, after after that, the Bills end up taking an unnecessary roughness call and this was after a false start that got them into a first and uh, an illegal shift and then a false start that got them into a first and 20 and then on the second and eight after Beasley got a 12-yard catch it was an unnecessary roughness call which put him to third and 23 and then they gained a first down after that John Brown on the play that he got hurt got 24 yards where he landed awkwardly Brian Winters holding call like they just kept crushing themselves in this game and then the drive after that was the interception so those drives were just so mistake ridden and we've been talking about offensive efficiency for the last few weeks now uh, as to why these things just unravel but it's just these mental errors that they continue to make uh, and whether it be penalties or not knowing the situation like it it that had to be maddening for McDermott at that point in time. But it's also a reflection on him. Uh, but the offense is more so Brian Dable's thing. And Dable called a pretty good game uh, outside of those those drives that we're talking about here when they just kind of did nothing. It, the, the plays and yardage were there. But just so many individual mental errors. It just totally undid any potential momentum they had uh, on those drives. Or it's just... Okay, you, you gain 24 yards on a third and 23. You're putting yourself in a great position. Up, oh, holding call, Brian Winters. It's just, it, it, we've been seeing this time and time again this year. Yeah, you know, it gets to a point where, as you mentioned, it it has to be a reflection on, on the coach at some point. Um, and I know that there's, um, you know, Sean McDermott has a reputation as a coach who, you know, it's like, oh man, this is uncharacteristic of this team. This team takes a lot of penalties. Um, you know, so at some point it's not uncharacteristic, right? It's just who they are. Right. Um, and yeah. you know, whether, you know, it's always hard to pinpoint, um, you know, what's on coaching, what's not most coaches, Sean, well, I guess not most, but, uh, Sean McDermott would say that, you know, everything stops with him. Um, and he would reluctantly take, take the blame, um, for just about anything that happens on the field. Um, unless Josh Allen, you know, beats him to it. Cause he loves taking the blame for everything as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, but some of that is right. Like individual errors and, and, you know, like those errors at the end of the game too, right? Like Mario Addison, you know, making that play, you had a timeout. Um, who's talking to the defensive line, mm-hmm. reminding them like, Hey, don't let this guy get outside. 
probably reminded him 200 times during the week, but make it 201 for good measure. Uh, who's deciding how much prevent defense to play? It's probably a mixture of Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier. Um, who's deciding that Tredavious White's going to stand that far off the line of scrimmage? All these things. So, you know, I think there is an element of, of that. Like Cliff Kingsbury outcoached Sean McDermott at the end of this game. Uh, that was part of the Cardinals squeaking out with a win. Vance Joseph, I thought, called a really good game too on defense. There was a lot of times where, um, you know, announcers um, are are all trying to be Tony Romo now, right? Where they like predict plays and, and call what's going to happen. And Vance Joseph had Charles Davis guessing on when he was going to blitz. It's like, here it comes, here comes the blitz. And the bills were probably thinking it too half the time. And then they were dropping guys in coverage. They were, they were definitely keeping the bills off balance. And I think that was part of, um, you know, some of the frustration that was happening, um, you know, on the bills end, but yeah, there was definitely a lot, they left a lot of meat on the bone um, because of penalties and because of unforced errors. And, and that's what will probably piss them off when they're watching this game back uh, tomorrow. But it it's not totally unexpected either when you had an emotional win against the Seahawks, a cross country trip, you know, these, games will happen um from time to time uh they're still a seven and three football team um imperfect as they are they they have seven wins going into the bye week eight would have been um huge but seven is uh is not terrible either and you know you're gonna have uh games like this after especially after the the run that they've been on uh i'd say you know, some were trying to say that, oh, it's a tough time for a bye week because now they have to sit with this loss for two weeks. Man, once they get back tomorrow and realize they have the week off after yeah. what they've been, I mean, it's been a long 10 weeks. Uh, week 11 is a late bye week. They need it pretty badly. They need to get healthy. They need to reset. Um, I think I need it. Regard- well, well, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I, sir- I I'm not. Uh, complaining about it that's for sure oh absolutely (laughs) i mean i mean 10 games in a row this is the latest buy they've had in a long time and yeah i'm sure they need it too with the you know and you think about what this year has been um as opposed to other years um with the daily testing and Mm -hmm. basically you know being in some form of isolation you know, in some regard, uh, since August, uh, because they're, or even late July, basically, whenever they got back, these are, yeah, I'm sure some of these guys are going out and, you know, maybe getting a bite to eat or um, grabbing takeout or whatever else. But the constant daily test and wondering like, oh man, am I going to be the guy that, that gets this thing and brings it into the facility? Like that's a different stress. And not that that'll go away because they they have to keep getting tested on the bye week, but just adds mm-hmm. to the grind of a season, all the stuff that they've had to, to deal with. So yes, I would say the bye week is coming at a fine time. I don't think they're going to be like, man, I'm real. I, I wish we could play again next week. Like they need this bye week. Yeah, they do. Just circling back to the uh to the defense uh i think one of their their biggest failures of this game and it's and it's been kind of a a common thing 
um, for them was their defensive tackles. I mean, in an ideal world, the way that you defend the Cardinals here is when we were talking about on the on the preview podcast about kind of creating that little shell around um, Kyler Murray where you have your edges contain and confine him into the pocket. And then you also have your defensive tackles, you know, keeping up with their rush lanes. So that way, if it is a zone read, which the Cardinals still run a ton of, that the defensive tackles are shoring up those those running lanes. So that way, um, Murray works himself into a spot where he grows impatient, and that's where the the edge containers can can help um, limit what they can do on the ground. And they did an okay job of that, but there were way too many times where you know you just see Quentin Jefferson in the game just getting blown off the ball. I mean Vernon Butler not holding his spot. Uh, I thought Ed Oliver was was actually pretty good again today. He made a really nice four yard loss. Um, Justin Zimmer, I, I didn't really watch him closely enough to, to tell you what I thought of his day, but you know, just, just in general, the, the middle of that defense was just getting, just getting destroyed really. And that's, that's going to completely cut into what you're trying to do. So when Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds are both getting as many yards as they are, it's just, it's just bad news at, at that point in time. So when you don't have everyone fulfilling what you wanted the ideal goal to be, um, then you just have a fundamental flaw in your defense. And it's gotten to the point where like, we're 10 games into the season now. It's not It's not a, oh, this is going to get better. It's a, oh, you learn to deal with this and figure out how to do it by now because you have the identity. You are who you are. Not often do teams just completely flip the switch and, oh, yeah, we're, we're good run defenders now. Uh, we're, we're good up the middle. Um, they It's been a flaw of theirs for such a long time. I also do believe that they were planning on um, keeping Harrison Phillips active for the game. But because of all of the, uh, the um, players put on the reserve COVID-19 list, one of them, the most important one here being Tyler Croft, had Tyler Croft been active or been eligible for the game, the Bills could have then placed Lee Smith on the inactive list, which would have taken up the fifth spot, which would have which would have allowed um, Harrison Phillips to dress for this game. But because they were kind of strapped a little bit, they had to uh, make a sacrifice, and that sacrifice had to be one of their 10 defensive linemen. So um, would he have helped things? I don't know, but... Um, he's he's certainly a little bit more geared towards stopping the run than anything, and that that's why it was just another failure in the middle. Like anytime they have Jefferson and Ed Oliver in the middle of the defense, you're just the Bills are probably just praying that that the that the opposing team isn't going to run the ball <laughs> up the middle because Jefferson is usually the one technique in those instances, and if that's happening, whew, watch out, he's just getting blown off the ball. So yeah, it it, it was an issue all game. Yeah, it continues to be a problem, and like I said, it's it's not something that they can run and hide from because if they're going to make it through this conference, uh, they're going to have to slow down the run at some point. And you know, it's the the teams that you know the defense just isn't physical enough. Um, you know, and that's a 
a weird yeah. thing to say about a group that has kind of, you know, made a living off of that uh, in years past. But it's true at certainly the first two levels of the defense and probably the the back, you know, part of the defense as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, a, like you said, getting blown off the ball. Um, I feel like Ed Oliver has been ordinary. Um, and I don't know if p- part of that is, you know, you see the the moments from him. You see some plays, but I I, I, don't, I don't think know. I I don't think I agree with you there. Actually, I don't uh, think I, I don't think he's been he was he good. was great last week. He was great last week, and he had and he had some good run stuffs today. I, I'd have to watch the film from from today, but I, I, he's he was the one thing that was working from them from the defensive tackle spot last week. I will say that I think he's been a pretty good pass rusher. I think he's been not great. Um, I think he's been inconsistent as a run defender. I, I just think he's he's runs yeah, too hot that. and cold. Um, he shows certainly shows the flashes as a pass rusher, but I think he's grading him on the scale of this was a guy who was a top ten pick, a no brainer, surefire, you know, going to be a stud in the middle of the defensive line. I don't feel like he's reached that level yet, and I think a lot of it has to do with you know consistency week to week, play to play, but. Um, I also, you know, the, the point I think that, you know, I'm unsure on with, with Ed Oliver is, you know, how much of it is because of what's going on around him. Um, and yeah. the, the idea that, yeah, there are times when Quentin Jefferson is the one technique or there, you know, so that's where the water gets muddied a little bit in terms of identifying, you know, and, and evaluating Ed Oliver, but, um, it, it's a an overall issue on the defensive line, and he's certainly being asked to do more than he was asked to do last year. And I think that's where it's becoming a little bit of a strain. But yeah, there are a lot of problems on this defensive line, and it's not every week because I think some of these guys are pretty good players. I don't think they're all like terrible players, but there's just something off uh in some games and it's when teams are willing to run right at some of these guys uh, and kind of blow them off the ball that's when you know there's there's some issues and there's i mean there's plenty of teams in this conference that'll do that to you so um it's something that they have to they're probably not going to get it fixed but they have Mm -hmm. to find some solutions because you can't just let up 200 yards rushing no, no. And even if it was by design, um, even still like that's, that's way too many. The, the yards per carry was awful. Um, they just, they were not putting up nearly as much of a, a fight in the middle as they should have been. And that's, that's a flaw. It's just, it's just who they are. They have to live with it. And I know, I know people are probably not, they, they don't want to hear about, how important Star Latulule was to their operation, but he was pretty important because they they knew they could not depend on Harrison Phillips and Latulule opting out really um, strained them on first and second down. So what will they do uh, the rest of the season? How might they try and mitigate uh, those those flaws in their defense? We'll have to see. But but yeah, if if I'm an opponent going up against the Bills, I'm challenging the defensive tackles every time. There's there's no doubt in my mind. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, let's give out some awards. Uh, I think it's about that time. There are plenty of candidates for all of the awards this time around. So we're going to start it off on the positive side of things uh, with the Blaine Gabbert Award. For perseverance, uh, I'll, I'll let you have the honors in this because I think there are a few candidates for, for this for this one. Yeah, this is one of those um, one of those games where there there were a few guys who who certainly would qualify here. I'm gonna give it to Josh Allen uh, mm. because he yep. had Perfect. a rough middle of this game. He had you know the. The two interceptions, he was just a little bit off, it seemed like, for a good chunk of this game. Um, a lot of stuff around him wasn't going right, but when it mattered, there he was, uh, leading a drive at the end of the game, and um, he didn't go away. He never does, right? He, no matter how bad things are going, he could have the worst game of his career and get the ball down four, and you're still like, well, maybe, <laughs> like because that's just what he does. So, yep. um he did it again, and um, I think it'll get certainly get lost because that's what happens when you lose. But um, otherwise, if not for um, a crazy 34 seconds, um, Josh Allen's getting a lot of a lot of attention again this week. Oh yeah, and kudos to him for for bringing it bringing himself back. And I know I mentioned it earlier because he did this against the Rams earlier in the season where it looked like it started it started to get away from him a little bit. Um, he pulled himself back in, and he deserves credit for that because that's that's not a characteristic that he had last season. So, so yeah, that's that's a, that's a really good and Blaine it's a, Gabbard Award for Perseverance Award. It, it's a winner. positive sign, too, for when they get in these situations when it really counts in the playoffs and things get away from him because that happens in playoff games. Mm-hmm. 
the quicker he can reset and and pull it together, uh, the better off they'll be. And you'd probably like him to pull it together a little quicker than he did uh, against the Cardinals. But the um, thing is, he was though on some of those drives, and yeah, he they, wasn't like, like they this, were shooting themselves in the foot elsewhere. And this is what we talk about where even when he's coming slightly unglued, it's not the same as it was, um, right. yeah, you totally. know, in the past. And I think that's where, where this is. It's, it's sometimes the offense being out of sync. Like you mentioned, there was, you know, penalties and, and different things around him going wrong. Um, but in the past that would have been enough to kind of, you know, make things spin out of control a little bit, but he, um, He's gotten better at not letting the lows get too low and then, you know, being able to snap himself out of it a little bit and uh, get the rest of the offense back on track when he needs to. And I thought he did that again this week. Um, Just as an honorable mention, Tyler Bass, three 50-plus yarders. I mean, the dude just ripped those uh, field goal attempts through the – through the well, the second two. The first one was a real doinker, but – that 58 yarder, who boy, that that might have been good from 65, 66, 67 yards. Like he crushed that thing and had yeah, a little draw perfect. on it too. He's a lot of his exactly. kicks kind of go like left. Not, they don't like slice left to right, but like that's kind of his kicking stroke. Um, but he like had a little slight right to left on that. Uh, you know, it was a that was a powerful kick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, let's get to the uh, the Dree Archer Award for the player that did not show up at all in the game. I'll, I'll lead us off here. I'm going to give it to Dawson Knox. The guy had an incredible opportunity in front of him where Tyler Croft was on the reserve COVID-19 list, did not travel. Croft had already been eating into... Knox's snaps even uh even when but before Knox had his calf injury and before he went on the COVID list he Knox by my count had 53 of the 75 total snaps for the Bills which was over 70 percent and the guy did diddly squat with it I mean he had a couple of uh, a couple of plays that were designed for him I think he had the one uh, semi-solid uh, yards after catch where he gained 10 yards and tried to barrel his shoulder through a guy and end up <laughs> whiffing on that. But he also had a drop along the sideline. He had that crushing penalty that negated a, a 20 plus yard, um, 20 plus yard uh, gain from Devin Singletary that put the bills in a bad spot on that drive. Again, um, it's just, he, he was missing blocks. It, it he's just, he's not there. And, um, I don't know. It's difficult because he's been hurt and he was on the reserve COVID list for a little bit. And so you don't know when, when is the time to make a call on these tight end, these tight end players, because that's typically a a position that, that takes a while to really develop, but he's, he's shown them nothing this year. And, and in this game, it's, it's just more of the same. Like last year, he was showing flashes. They they put plays in the playbook for him. Uh, Allen was looking his way. Allen's not even looking at him unless it's the first read. So, um, Dree Archer Award to Dawson Knox. I mean, the dude the dude was invisible, and when he was visible, it 
it usually wasn't for a good reason. Yeah, someone asked me in the mailbag this week if Dawson Knox is a bust, and mm. you know, never a good good sign when you get that right, question yeah, already halfway through his second year. And I, I, you know, for some of the reasons you mentioned, said I'm not ready to go there yet. But mm-hmm. you know, like a concussion, a calf injury, and COVID, all in the first half of the year, um, that's a lot. Uh, it and it's still only his second season, but yeah. What I also said was like it's certainly trending that way. Like he hasn't done anything to convince you the opposite is true that he's some you know star in the making. And you know you don't wait around forever um, when a guy's not showing flashes. It's not like it's a position where you only need one guy. Um, so I think that could certainly be on their their shopping list in the off season. Uh, it's looking like a, a disappointing draft pick at this point. Also, I guess the question is like, you know, is he a high enough draft pick to be considered a bust? You know, like I don't know. Yeah. Like, would you c- consider Harrison Phillips a bust? Same same realm. Yeah, it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's bad pick, right? Like, but yeah, um, I don't know. I guess it depends how you define bust. I had a few people uh, push back that way too, saying, ah, he's too low of a pick to be a bust. And I'm like, eh, yeah, I guess f- fair, but, um, bad pick, uh, possible, but yeah, he has not been good and penalties, drops, negative plays that just, you can't have and hardly any of the positive plays to go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. The Vontae Davis award for the player that didn't show up in the second half. Go right ahead. I'm going to go with Dawson Knox's classmate, Devin Singletary. Ah, yes. Another guy who has been uh, not great. Um, uh, Certainly, from a production standpoint, has been downright bad. And in this game, in the first half, he had two carries for 15 yards, three targets, no catches. In the second half, he had two carries for zero yards, He had two more targets. He did catch a pass, and it went for negative five yards. So, in the did have the twenty plus yarder that was negated, but still, yeah, Yeah, I'm with you. They don't count those ones. So, no, that's uh, true. But and but just uh, conversely to that, he also took the unnecessary roughness call after they they gained a a good chunk of yards, and um, and yeah. Uh, so that he kind of screwed over a drive there. Yeah, so whatever gain he had that got taken away, he took it right back with a penalty of his own. So really uh, not a great game from him. And the running game as a whole has been a mess. Um, But Mm -hmm. for a guy that, you know, certainly a lot of people had high hopes for uh, entering his second season, this has been a a pretty underwhelming year um, for Devin Singletary. Yeah. all around yeah i'll uh i will also since i mentioned a special teams player uh for the blaine gabbard award Corey bahorquez that shank i forgot about was the shankiest of shanks this game got so crazy that i forgot about the 12 yard punt that was that was like his reaction as soon as he kicked it was just priceless and i will say i feel like that should be the gotta watch the tape award right (laughs) <laughs> you can that can only be saved by coach speak i've got i've got a, a worthy candidate for the gotta watch the tape award but when did cory bajorquez shave his mustache because i i wonder if there is a uh 
a correlating effect here. It could be. I don't know. He, yeah. he, that was so bad. I, I thought for sure it, it got tipped or something. It was, it was the, it was one of the worst punts I have ever seen of an NFL kicker. Yeah, it was bad. It, it was, it, it was bad. Like, I think the, the Texans were using their, their field goal kicker as their punter and he punted a longer one <laughs> in terrible conditions than uh uh Bohorquez did in a dome i had somebody my, ask my. in the mailbag this week what fruit i think i could kick the farthest and i chose a cantaloupe and i wasn't super what are you I, thinking i wasn't those super, things are dense i wasn't super confident in in my answer but <laughs> after that punt uh john vogel who was um very uh you know had lots of opinions about this question and we were going back and forth on it he tweeted at me saying he thinks i probably could have kicked a cantaloupe farther than cory borges punted that <laughs> ball and he might be right i don't know i don't know man cantaloupe that's like oh yeah i'm let me let me just drop kick this medicine ball of a fruit no sure. medicine ball no like <laughs> I'm it's just not kidding. that heavy but it's it's more it's probably a lot denser of a fruit than you needed it to be. I think it's probably yeah a little bit too much, but I don't want like a small fruit that I'm gonna like miss and not get a good kick on. Um, that sounds like an accuracy problem. So I, well yeah, I'm terrible <laughs> at kicking, so I, I have to have some self awareness and have a big target uh, to make sure I get a good. And I was gonna pick a watermelon, but I feel like my foot would go right through a watermelon. Um, and some watermelons yeah. are too big. Like a cantaloupe, honeydew melon, like a nice, nice mixture. I was going to pick a coconut. <laughs> Vogel thought I would break my foot. Somebody said I would for sure break my foot kicking a cantaloupe. And I'm like, what do you yeah, think? They're I have dense, made man. A glass? Like, no, I'll, I'll I'm go out there you, and those kick things... a cantaloupe right now in these 75 mile an hour winds. <laughs> Please do not. Uh, I, I cannot condone this. Probably still go 12 yards. Grapefruit. Yeah, like something like that. I think Vogel said a pear. Um, you know, oh, I don't, I don't agree there. If you get a good, uh, you know, good foot on a on a pear or a grapefruit, it's probably going somewhere. But the, I don't know. To me, I I went with size. You need something that'll go. And um, the cantaloupe's not gonna go, especially That's through these the wings. It's so dense; it'll cut right through these Western New York winds. <laughs> Even if you get the kick off, it's gonna go like five yards. No, I, I'm I'm pretty. <laughs> I mean, I, like I said, I wasn't overly confident in my answer, but I was gonna pick a coconut. I still think that would be a good one. I don't mind that one actually. All right, let's uh, go with the gotta watch the tape award. Um, I'm going to give it to someone that the Bills probably didn't think they were going to use this week, but the results on the field for the defense was so bad when he was out there that, and he's he's a he's a Bean and McDermott guy from way back. Daryl Worley gets the gotta watch the tape award because not only did he take a defensive pass interference penalty, but the Cardinals were targeting him. And on a play where Murray, I think he had his longest gain of, uh, his longest rushing gain of the game, when the cornerback is trusted in that spot to come down and make a tackle, Worley just was, I, I, he, he didn't even come close 
to Murray. And I think it was like a 28 yard gain if I'm, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, but when Worley was on the field, so he was out there for 15 plays. One of them was a penalty on, on the Cardinals. So 14 plays total. The Cardinals gained, including uh, on his nine-yard defensive pass interference call, the Cardinals gained 9.5 yards per play. Now, on the game, they gained, let's see, 6.4 yards per play. So it was a 3.1 yards per play uptick when Worley was on the field. Of course, not all of it was his fault, but they were going after him. And that included the 35-yard catch for DeAndre Hopkins, the 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 Murray 28-yard run, Murray 15-yard run, the defensive pass interference where he was all over Christian Kirk. Like, So yeah, McDermott, when you ask him about him. Yeah. Oh, you know, he's, please cornerback. I, I got to watch the tape. I don't really get a good feel there. I got to got to watch the tape to see see what he was doing. It's only fair. Do you have a got to watch the tape guy? I've got to give it to Corey Bork as man. I mean, <laughs> twelve yard punt? You kidding me? I will say this: some there was a great question somebody asked me that I wish I had time to respond to on Twitter. Um, they said, "What was worse, Corey Bork as?" punting at 12 yards or tiger woods taking a 10 on a par three at the masters today and what's interesting about that question is that much like tiger bounced back with i believe it was four birdies in his final like five holes um really like rebounded from that Corey bohorquez had a couple good punts after that but that's true you know man a 12 i don't know what's worse a 12 yard punt I think the twelve yard punt is worse. Yeah, I mean it's one of the it was one of the hardest holes on uh on Augusta that, that Tiger went in the water twice on. Um the hole that won him the tournament last year. Uh I feel like not only was not only was the twelve yard punt a twelve yard punt, but it was a twelve yard punt in perfect conditions. Right. Yeah. That's that's the thing. It's like I don't know, like a twelve yard punt is just yeah, nobody was in his face. Uh was the roof closed? If it wasn't, you're no, in the, the roof desert. was open, but it, uh, it there there wasn't a breeze there. I mean, I, I saw a picture from in there. It was gorgeous. Like there was no wind to speak of. I mean, it's, it's a twelve yard punt in a dome, a almost dome environment. Yeah, that to me is Awful. like yeah, that's worse. But he did he bounced back a little bit. But man, ugh. would he have kicked a cantaloupe farther than a football? might have might have been well you know when i raised this question to tim graham he made a good point uh josh allen grew up on a cantaloupe farm so maybe we'll well i'll have to ask him uh how uh i'm sure he's kicked the cantaloupe um growing up on a cantaloupe farm uh, i'm sure he'll love that in his wednesday press conference coming up bye hey josh uh what do you think do you think uh you can punt a cantaloupe t- further than 12 yards i should have snuck it well, into actually, the post-game press conference tonight <laughs> i'm sure he would have welcomed it tough, with open tough arms. loss um quick <laughs> off topic one for you <laughs> how far what's the farthest you've ever kicked a cantaloupe <laughs> Just assume we that he's the, already kicked one. We How ask the important questions. That's 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 what we provide the the in depth tough questions that you're not going to get elsewhere. That's right. Hard hitting. We got it. All right. So I think that'll do it for us. I'm not even going to ask you for words of wisdom because I think 
quite honestly, the the punting cantaloupe has has gotten us to this point. I will also <laughs> tell people to go look at Blake Shelton's timeline um, from during this game. I'm not even going to say what he said because I don't want to ruin it. It'll be better if you just go and see it for yourself if you haven't seen it already. I actually, um, I actually have no idea what you're talking about, so I'm going to do that live on the pod. And I'm just going to give a, a pure reaction to this. Blake Shelton, you said? Yeah, the country singer. He's got a couple of tweets about um, country music stuff and then about five hours ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my he had a, he's an Arizona Cardinals fan, apparently. Who knew? Um, and... He, that was he had that was the most unexpected journey of a tweet I think I've had in the last month. Yeah, it was fairly normal, what? and then things things got crazy. So go check it out, kids. Wow. But kids, ask your ask your parents uh, first because it is uh, PG thirteen. <laughs> it's quite the turn of events on that tweet. All right, yeah, that's that's sage advice for Matthew Fairburn. So do that. Um, okay, so the Buffalo Bills are now seven and three on the season. They're still atop the AFC East, and regardless of what the Dolphins do, they will remain atop the AFC East by the time they come back from their bye. But they are in fact going on their bye week. So the next time we will speak with you will be sometime in the coming week, and we'll, let's. I'm I'm thinking we might do a little uh, listener question thing, so we'll have to we'll have to post one of our little mailbag uh, because I'm sure the people want to know about more punting fruits and and things like that. So we, we, we'll we'll make it fun and informative. That's that's what we aim for here. All right. So for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscalia. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to The Athletic to read all of our uh, musings about the game, about the team, um, and all the features we do. And uh, you can read about basically any other team you could ever want, uh, all for the low price of $1 per week. All you have to go do is go to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. Again, that's theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat for a $1 a week subscription. All right, so that'll do it. Uh, We will talk to you next week. And until then, take care and uh, happy bye week.